This, along with every episode of According to Flint, brought to you by Pendleton Whiskey. For more than a century, the Pendleton Roundup has defined what it means to be a cowboy. It also gave life to something equally renowned, a whiskey that captures that unique spirit in every bottle. A whiskey made with the finest northern grains and cut with Mount Hood glacier water. A whiskey that celebrates the cowboy in all of us. That is Pendleton Whiskey, and that's true Western tradition. Pendleton Distillers, Lawrenceburg, Indiana. Please drink responsibly. Thanks, as always, to our great supporters for a very long time. Everything according to Flint and Outside the Barrel there in Las Vegas, uh, Pendleton Whiskey. This week on According to Flint, the podcast, it, uh, I'm flying solo, if you will. It is call it what you want. It's ask Flint anything. It's fan Q&A, fan questions. Uh, going to address some of the questions posted to me on my Facebook page on my social media. And it does a couple things for me. First of all, I sincerely enjoy answering questions from fans, especially when they're a little different than the everyday favorite bulls, favorite riders. Not that those are bad, but I like things to get a little deeper. Also in my new role with professional bull riders, overseeing some things with fan engagement, it gives me an idea of what you, the fans, are thinking some of your questions and concerns that maybe I can address. And uh, this week, as it has been, this episode of According to Flint, I'm going to show you the label. Element, LMNT, check out, check it out, check out the label. Uh, Element, of course, is zero sugar electrolyte drink mix formulated for anyone on a mission to restore their health through hydration. Sodium. There's been this big crackdown on sodium and our bodies need sodium to stay healthy, stay hydrated. Perfect for athletes, folks fasting, anyone on a particular diet. Each stick, there it is. Each stick delivers a dose of electrolytes free of sugars, artificial colors. I love this word that they use, dodgy ingredients. My flavor of the day, chocolate. Put it in your coffee, put it in your hot chocolate and Remember, as I might get today, you know, everybody likes salty Flint. So stay salty, everybody. Hey, we're going to get to fan questions. It's a big fan Q&A with me flying solo. But first, a word from another great supporter of ours right here on According to Flint, our friends at Montana Silversmiths, back after this. Since 1973, the art of engraving brings to life the artistry that Montana Silversmiths is known for and is fueled by a passion for the Western lifestyle. Montana silversmiths' buckles and jewelry are more than accessories. They are stories, stories of moments and memories shared through the giving, receiving, and earning of Montana silversmiths' buckles and jewelry. Celebrate what matters with Montana silversmiths. Welcome back. Thanks again to Montana Silversmiths, just up the road at Columbus, Montana, on the banks of the beautiful Yellowstone River. Welcome to this episode of According to Flint, flying solo, answering your questions, taking your concerns. From lighthearted to deep to advice to, uh, boy, it's across the spectrum this time. Good, great to hear from everybody. I'll try to, oh, at least say your first name and starting light. 
Um, just as well get right to it with this one because it goes along with a comment I had on social media a couple weeks ago from someone who thought I looked pale and should see a doctor. Sierra asked if I wear a retainer or Invisalign on my bottom teeth. I'm not sure what's on my bottom teeth uh, to make you think I wear a Vis- Invisalign or a retainer. However, when I was a kid, I went through a couple years of braces. So hopefully I don't need an Invisalign. But thanks, Sierra, for your concern. And thanks to the last person who said maybe I should think about seeing a doctor because I look so pale on air compared to years past. You missed that, didn't you, Logan? You <laughs> So no, Sierra, no uh, no Invisalign. Now, I want to hit this one next because we are coming off as um, as we head into the weekend as this episode of According to Flint um, is released. We're about halfway through, believe it or not, the Unleash the Beast season. Guys are getting banged up, but there's been a real dominance by a lot of the young bull riders, and it makes us excited, us in the PBR, us in the Western sports world, the rodeo world, because of such a great group of rookies, Penny, uh, asked me about what about this group of rookies that is doing so well in the PBR? Are there a, a past group of rookies that I remember dominating like these ones? And I don't, I think it's different now. And I, I'm not one to remember a class of rookies. I, I can a little in football, believe it or not, but I do remember certain riders and how well they looked when they were rookies. I remember Chris Shivers. I remember J.B. Mooney. Um, J.B. Mooney and Brian Cantor came along at the same time. Uh, hell, I remember when uh, Ross Coleman and Justin McBride were rookies. I remember when Luke Snyder was a rookie and won the PBR World Finals event title. And what stands out is they stand out. They're, we have always said when they're, those ones are going to be real great, it seems like you notice something right away. That was definitely the case with Chris Shivers, I remember. Luke Snyder comes out early and wins the PBR World Finals event title. And I wouldn't say his career leveled off, but it was steady. He never won a world title, but always there, always at the PBR World Finals. Uh, you know, we have shown uh, the PBR has on social media. PBR's very, or JB Mooney's very first qualified ride. I think I believe it was at Portland, Oregon. But in recent memory, you know, because a lot of people have said there's no young bull riders. We're re- there aren't as many young bull riders. There's not as many bull riders in general. I, I believe that is not true. I believe they just have a lot of places to go. It used to be that PBR riders were also rodeoing. And so it was one group. So it seemed like across the board there were more. But now there's as many. They just go to a lot of different places. So, but this group, the John Crimbers, the, uh, you know, there's some good young Brazilian riders, you know, names leave me when I'm pressures on, on the air. But right now there are across the board, this is, I hate to say as great as a bunch of rookies as we've seen, but in recent memory, it is refreshing to see this many young bull riders making such an impact and such a difference. Uh, on what's going on in the PBR. The, down at the Velocity Tour, there's been some bull riders that we know, that we that have been on tour for um, a little bit of time, and they're fighting their way from the Velocity Tour getting back up on the UTB. So it, it's just really good, really good to see these young guys making a difference. Need them to stay healthy. It's a war of attrition. Um, and I, I could have a pattern here, here 
and touch on some PBR pieces with Penny and her PBR question. Um, Joe Lynn brought up the CBS bucking battles that we have. I still believe, even though we've we've gotten in a world of um, easy access, everything should be streamed, everything should be on TV. In today's world, I guess that's just reality. I'm in a Dancing with the Rodeo Stars con- contest coming up in a month or so, and everybody says, well, where's it on TV? Well, it's not on TV. It, it's a live event. You have to go. Bull riding's the same way. You know, thankfully, we do have that mentality that we should be able to see it. Of course, many of our events broadcast live on Pluto. A lot of them live or tape delayed on CBS Sports Network, and we have some CBS shows. And instead of, it used to be the CBS 15-15 bucking battle, and it was a separate round. We buck an entire round, and then the top 15 would have to get on another bull for a CBS show. Uh, Joe Lynn, by the way, is talking about time slots and getting preempted by things being I've got the impression on the West Coast, and I don't know anything about time slots and how they adjust. I know East Coast carries over all the way kind of to mountain time, and then West Coast is kind of its own programming schedule. That's out of my knowledge how that works, but I will say this about our bucking battles. It's no longer just the flat-out 15-15. What we do is take the last 15 in a go-round, and it ends on Pluto and goes to CBS for a next day air. It has, however, been adjusted, and I think I think it is to the positive. We don't now just take the top 15 in the Unleash the Beast world standings and put them on CBS. We do take the top 10, but the top uh, the next five, we reserve the right to determine interesting storylines or strong rookies or people who have done well in the past. So the top 10 in the world and the other five to get on CBS is at the discretion of PBR and what we think will make for a better show on CBS. So maybe a, you know, a rookie that's doing well or just, uh, so yeah, top 10 plus five others. And our numbers, I know for the last one that, that we had, Right under a million people watching those on CBS. So those are a very strong show for us at PBR when they air um, early in the day, Eastern time, late morning, mountain time. So as far as West Coast, I don't have that knowledge or that power. But that is how the, the new CBS bucking battle works. Top 10, five wild cards that we can insert, which we, we think as PBR will make the best telecast for people at home to watch and for the fans to enjoy um let's get some pbr biz out of the way kind of the some serious not serious i mean listen listen it's still a sport it's still bull riding there has been a lot of people ask me about number one what's it going to take to get you back in the arena number two do you miss it number three have you considered coming back why don't you come back uh for one if i didn't miss it somewhat i would have been doing the wrong job for the last 30 years so i think anything you love and you're passionate about you will miss it i do not miss doing the job as much as i like being that person and having that connection 
to the fans, having the connection, being able to have that control over the audience and take them on that little path that we all, we try to take you on through every live show. Probably physically not going to, let's just say don't hold your breath. If, if I had to say a million percent, hundred percent, would I ever not make a cameo? Would I ever not put makeup back on? That's a tough one. I don't, I don't think so. It would have to be some sort of little special deal, not an entire weekend, because physically I'm just not feeling it. And mentally, I don't stand and watch a show and go, damn it, I wish I was out there. Now, in a place like Sacramento, where during the bad storm on the Sunday afternoon performance and the power flashed and we had to wait for TV trucks to reboot back up, we could have had a little more fun there. We did not have an in-arena entertainer in Sacramento, but the announcers, uh, Matt West and Clint Atkins, Brad Narducci chipped in a little bit uh, as the stadium host, Richard Jones with the music, filled that time great, but I knew we could have a little fun there. And that's maybe what I miss, again, being that person. Um, and people are asking, are we going to use anyone exclusive? Are we going to use anybody all the time? Yes. For those of you who have been to some events, Brinson, Brinson James has been to a lot. He had some previous commitments, so there's not a full commitment to him at all events. When he is not there, we've been resorting to some and getting creative with some video elements that we play in the arena. I've made a cameo in a couple of those, which are fun. Um, Brad Narducci, who is also a great music director, has been stepping in as the, the stadium host, show host in the crowd, executing some of those sponsor um, activations. And also uh, Matt Merritt, who's a great rodeo clown and PBR entertainer, is going to do some of those shows. So when the PBR... You know, that decision will be made when, if, if and when to settle into one person. Those guys are working hard and filling in into those spots and doing a great job. Not, don't take the words filling in as if they're just filling in until I come back. So those guys, they do a great job. And that the advantage Matt Merritt and Brinson have is they have worked at all levels of PBR. It isn't a case, you know, a lot of people when I was done in the arena, they said, Oh, John Harrison, the Rodeo Clown of the Year, will take his place. Justin Rumford, those guys are really, really, really good. But unless you have worked some of the upper-level PBR stuff, it's a different production. The, their talent is completely up to snuff for it. it. It's just a different production than Rodeo. Uh, we need different things in different times. where We sell things a different way. So it's not as easy as just plugging someone in. And Brinson and Matt have worked at all levels of PBR. So they, they know, know the drill. And you, you work into the more the fiber of the production. And there's a relationship there with the guys we work with. So we're careful to do that the right way. Also, PBR questions about World Finals. A couple people said, am I seeing this right? PBR Finals is only two days at AT&T Stadium. Um, is that enough? Are you? I, I like when people ask a question, but in the midst of their question, they kind of give me the answer they want. Uh, I didn't write the name down, but what do you think of PBR Finals moving to AT&T and AT&T Stadium? Is it too big? Will it lose the, the intimacy of bull riding? So that's what you think, obviously, because you brought it up. 
and another person is two days enough to crown a world champion. A little, uh, little info for you as this releases. PBR has been holding on, but I asked my fellow bo- fellow bosses, like I'm a boss, the big bosses, if I could talk about what's going on, there is a first weekend of the PBR World Finals, and it's going to be, talk about an intimate setting, first uh, four days that we call the elimination rounds are going to be in the old Stockyards Coliseum. A um, couple thousand people, 23, 2400 people. We are creating a full experience in the stockyards. There's going to be watch parties. There's going to be experiences with meals and concerts uh, that you can pay, get packages to. Anyway, first weekend, stockyards, some re- redemption rounds in the middle of the week. It is going to be a full week, 10 days of PBR fun partying in the stockyards at Fort Worth. And that's where the party should happen anyway. So keep an eye out. Uh, Details will be coming out very soon about how to be a part of that. I would say, even if you just show up at the stockyards those days of the PBR World Finals, it's going to be a great time. So the last two days in AT&T Stadium, I think will be fabulous. And then uh, you don't forget that Friday. So um, I believe the 18th and 19th of May are the last two days. The 17th, Friday night, Kid Rock's Rockin' Rodeo, expecting 30-some thousand people. Kid Rock in concert, as well as a team rodeo format. Rodeo like you've never seen it before. Kid Rock directly involved. And that should be great, too. So sell a lot of tickets to that last weekend, but now keep an eye out for the stockyards of the PBR World Finals. Should be fun. So that takes care of some of the PBR business, I believe... If I see some other ones, we'll get to those too. But other questions, by the way, Element, stay salty, everybody. The chocolate is good. I like the chocolate. It's like a chocolate shake without the shake, sort of. So I'm staying salty. I haven't got salty yet. So I could have with the Invisalign thing. I could have got salty there. The pale thing last week that when we recorded, I was salty. I got I went and I went and fake tanned just because of that. Um, I'll go away in the wayback machine. I didn't write down who asked this question, but somebody asked me about my memories from the 1998 National Finals Rodeo. The reason they asked the question is the two bullfighters I worked with were Joe Bumgardner and Frank Newsom. They said, "What are what are your memories of that NFR?" Well, I knew Joe and Frank, so that helped a lot. I mean, we know each other, most of us anyway, but I had worked with those two guys, but my memories were pure excitement, fear, nervousness, pee my pants, um, surreal. It wasn't, keep in mind, now towards the end of my NFRs that I worked, I did get to do a little bit in the arena. 98, 99, 2000, those early couple years, it was just standing in the barrel during the bull riding. So as far as memories, you know, I I remember being at like Cowboy Christmas at the NFR and Wrangler lining up autograph signing sessions for me. And that was like a dream come true. But working with Joe and Frank, um, yeah, standing there watching the, the top 15 bull riders in the world and working with two of the greatest. Now, 
have gone down in history as two of the greatest bullfighters of all time. The NFR, there's something about the NFR. Uh, that ties into a question I get asked a lot. Like, what was the best moment of your career in the arena? And I always say the first time I rolled my barrel into Thomas and Mack Arena at the National Finals Rodeo, and that was it. That was in 1998. I had never been arena floor level. I think I'd only ever watched the NFR from the plaza level one time somebody had some tickets. Otherwise, I had I'd sat in the top row of that place and then I was rolling my barrel out there. So that is my, uh, that's my memories from there. Um, Debbie, see, I like questions like this. My all-time favorite athlete in any sport. I've, I've thought about this. Do you have one? Yeah, Logan's here with me. By the way, if, for those of you who join us on our Tuesday night Facebook Live, according to Flint Broadcast, Logan, Logan's here for these two. Favorite athlete, any sport? Rick Sutcliffe, Chicago Cubs pitcher. You could do that. We know Rick. Uh, he's been on here. I have a couple. I have a couple I'll go with. Or a, a few. Because I love sports. My all-time favorite athlete... When I was a little kid, this is going to hurt. This is going to hurt some people. Man, I was a huge O.J. Simpson fan. Man, he was killer. Ah, I'm joking. <laughs> O.J. Simpson, I wanted to be a running back. I have a picture of myself in my 32 jersey. And uh, in basketball, it was Dr. J. I, I would say Dr. J, Julius Irving, Philadelphia 76ers was, you know, I think of people that as a kid, I went out of my way <clears throat> to watch. I remember when Dr. J retired, I thought I'll never watch basketball again. What's the, what's the point? Dr. J, you know, that's back when a dunk was a big deal. Then Michael Jordan came along and I watched him too. Um, and then uh, as years went, I loved watching Brett Favre. I loved watching Peyton Manning, you know, but, uh, but yeah, I would go with Dr. J O.J. Simpson was right in there. That's terrible, but I have to, you know, got to be honest. And um, other sports, you know, there was some track athletes that were great to watch. Carl Lewis, because I was a jumper and kind of watched what he did. But, yeah, Dr. J. You know Dr. J? Yeah. yeah, yeah. There you go. Favorite athlete. Oh, look, I know somebody maybe wanted me to say rodeo athlete, but that wasn't my thing back, you know. I mean, I knew him who they all were, Larry Mahan was cool. Oh, Larry Mahan was, he was the first real cool, like Hollywoody cowboy, Larry Mahan was. He had the fuzzy felt hat, kind of some long hair. Larry Mahan was cool. Still Dr. J, though. That, sorry. Um, oh, let's see. By the way, as I'm recording this, I just had sort of a marathon trip. I mean, nothing out of completely out of the ordinary. I was only 30 hours late getting back to Montana, but Sacramento, California, you miss a couple connections, things snowball. But Keith asks me about uh, how to pass the time in airports. What do you do to pass the time? And someone else asked me about traveling tips all the years that I've traveled, and that has a lot to do with some burnout as well, especially flying out of small markets. Um, 
how do you pass the time in an airport or tips for travelers who don't travel very much? First of all, passing time in airports, there's a way to settle in and not get impatient. Now, a lot of people just drink the whole time and I can't do that. (laughs) Sorry, I can't. I'll have a drink once in a while to pass the time or with a meal, but um, it depends on the airport. I was stuck in the Salt Lake City airport for kind of all day, and it's a big, new, spacious airport. What I think is key is finding a quiet corner, where whether it's a common area with comfortable chairs, looking out, try to find some natural light with light shining in, even just watching the airplanes go by. Sat in Salt Lake City the other day, a big chair, drinking coffee in the morning, looking out across the tarmac, and there's a grand piano that people can just walk up and play. And two different gentlemen walked up and played the piano for a while. But you got to have patience, and or I'll find empty gates that look out the window uh, where there's no flights going out, so nobody around. And I do that, and that keeps things peaceful. Um, instead of grabbing McDonald's or Burger King, if you have a lot of time, go actually sit down, maybe have a drink and have a, an actual meal. All of those things make your day go by without you really thinking about it. Um, I would also say tips. Tips for travelers who don't travel very much. I tell, I've told my parents this, my mom especially. Because the first thing... Um, uh, this is a weird analogy. Um, former brother-in-law, F-16 fighter pilot. I think it was him or might have been another pilot friend said in the Air Force, they make their flight plan and they never even talk about takeoff and landing. They don't even remember it. It's about the, the rest of the flight where commercial airlines, it's about taking off and landing. My takeoff and landing is security and checking in. People are like, oh, must hate flying. Security sucks. Security doesn't. Don't get overstimulated by things that that you just got to do and don't really matter. Just get in line at security and just do what you're supposed to do. Don't fight it. There's always that person that walks through, they beep, and they go, oh, got my big belt buckle on, didn't know if it would beep. Just take the damn thing off in the first place. So basically, don't get overstimulated by everything going on. Yes, there's a lot of people, but you don't have to care about all those people because they don't care about you. So focus on maybe getting to that next spot, finding a place to sit down, finding a nice meal. Yes, there's people to navigate, but instead of stressing about it, watch them and see how many idiots there are in the world because that's a lot of fun and the airport is the best place to see that. So I would say don't get overstimulated. Don't don't fret. It's going to be okay because everybody is in the same boat as you and you can ask anybody in that airport where to go, learn to read signs, and they'll help you. So that's my tips for people who don't travel very much. Just take a breath relax. It's okay. So any others that I'm forgetting tips for travelers? Um, good point. If you can afford to check your bag, just check your bag <laughs> instead of trying to stuff it and take up all the, yeah, I check bags. I mean, I've, I have a little one sometimes I take, but yeah, I'm a bag checker. Hell with it. Yeah. You know, so anyway.
It's 30 on American. But yeah. But if you have status, you know. But yeah. Uh, so there you go. See, I like giving giving airport tips. Um let's see. I want to get um one uh one fan asks, let's see, Stephen. He says, um, I'm getting through these questions pretty fast. Yeah. Um, great committee. He, he says, what is the greatest rodeo committee you ever worked with and why is it St. Paul, Oregon? <laughs> so Stephen's from St. Paul, Oregon. A great rodeo committee, I must say. He was kidding and finished that with, when I did, here's the difference. I still, well, not as much anymore, but I used to get asked, do you like working for the PBR more than you like working for the PRCA? And I answer this way. I never worked for the PRCA. Understand the difference. I'm not sure even people in the rodeo world understand the difference between the PBR and the PRCA. The PRCA is the sanctioning body of professional rodeo, the elite organization sanctioning body of professional rodeo. When you are at the Wrangler National Files Rodeo, those cowboys and cowgirls, well, the cowgirls through the Women's Professional Rodeo Association. Anyway, here we go. But they qualify through the standings of the PRCA. In essence, the PRCA doesn't really produce anything. They don't, the PRCA does not produce the Pendleton Roundup or the Ellensburg Rodeo or the St. Paul, Oregon Rodeo or Cheyenne Frontier Days. They sanction those rodeos. It is the local committees that produce the rodeos. So it's not the PRCA, if you see where I'm getting at. The PBR, there are independently produced PBRs at the lower, the lowest level of PBR, but the Velocity Tour and the Unleash the Beast Tour are completely produced by the PBR. So the PBR is not only the sanctioning body, the PBR is a media company, a marketing company, a uh, uh, promotional company, a production company, a film, I mean... PBR does everything, for the most part, everything internally, as well as owning TV rights, all of that. So that is, that's the big difference. So when I say I didn't work for the PRCA, that's not anything negative. That's just a fact. Um, I mean, you could say if the PRCA ever, something happened and it went away, the rodeos would still happen because they're produced locally. Not as good. It's a strong, prestigious organization, just for example. So when Stephen asks about what are great traits that you see uh, in, in great rodeo committees, I would say some bigger than others. Some are small groups, some are big groups. Place like Pendleton and Cheyenne, uh, hundreds of people involved. I guess efficiency, what they're in it for, looking out for production, for a great show, for the contestants, the Cowboys and Cowgirls, that's very important. The contract personnel, the way they treat contract personnel as professionals and a, an influential voice and, and cog in that wheel of the production they're trying to put on. 
And I would say what really stands out to me about rodeo committees and rodeo committee members is their ambivalence to getting, it's a good word, ambivalence to getting introduced or being in the limelight. Um, you know, if there's a rodeo committee and they have an amazing rodeo and during that rodeo, you never really have any of them get introduced during the rodeo. It's more about, um, you know, maybe the stock contractor and the bullfighters and the rodeo clown and the announcers. But if they don't care, if they get their name announced on the, on the sound system, that's a pretty good trait of a committee. Now, they should get recognition because they do a lot of work, but that over-the-top type thing. Um, you know, there's great committees out there. Yeah, the St. Paul, Oregon committee, small town in Oregon, they were always great. Pendleton Roundup, who's won uh, large outdoor roadie of the year a lot. Obviously, a place like San Antonio has a great committee. They win rodeo of the year a lot. Cheyenne has. That's an efficient bunch. Then they also have pride in what they're doing and pride in the commu community and want to give back to that community. That's that's important. Anyway, there's a lot of traits, and a lot of rodeos have those great traits. Um, so, and and most of the rodeo committees out there are great because for the most part, they're all volunteers. And young people need to get involved in those rodeos and keep uh, the sport alive and keep things moving in the right direction. Um, a question from Logan. Yes, Logan. I will repeat the... As, has a rodeo committee ever played a prank on me in the arena? Great topic. It leads to a bigger topic. Okay. Did you hear about one? Yeah. But it didn't work. So it depends on the prank. In the old, see, tell me if I'm doing it right here. In the old Rushmore Plaza Civic Center in Rapid City, South Dakota, the pickup men were Kenny Claybaugh and Steve Sutton. Right here. It was during the bull riding, so they were on their horses, and I was out dancing in the barrel. They sent somebody in the, to the catwalk with a bucket of water and flour, I believe. And um, they tried from the roof of the Civic Center, dumped the bucket, and missed me. They missed me. Yeah, they, they forgot that. Dumped the bucket and missed me. And I said, it's a good thing you missed me because it would have ruined, like, my microphone. So that, that's one prank that would have... That was funny because everyone could kind of see. I had a really tight connection with the fans in Rapid City. Really great rodeo for a lot of years that I went. But yeah, they missed. I, Steve seems to think that they hit me. But it, right beside me, it splashed me and stuff. But it kind of would have ruined my microphone, probably would have ruined my day. Um, but that's funny, and the crowd laughed. I have watched, and this is a tip for young people, young guys that are starting to announce, young guys that are starting a rodeo clown career, music guys, everyone involved in a product you put out in the arena. Remember that a lot of your stuff, the crowd is not in on your joke. Now, that was a, a real neutral thing, but it reminds me. I've seen an, uh, announcers and clowns go off on things, and nobody in the crowd really knows what they're talking about because what they're doing basically is sucking up to the committee, and nobody cares. The entertainment value is not there. Um, 
So, uh, you know, or playing a joke about something on a committee guy, but nobody knows what's going on. And I never was, was in on that kind of stuff. I, I call that inside baseball and I don't think there's much value to it. And you know this, I am not a practical joker. I don't like practical jokes. I don't like surprises. I don't, the practical joke thing, I don't do it to people and I don't want it done to me. So I don't, yeah, it ugh, makes me uncomfortable. So anyway, good question. Nice, nice, Logan. Um, a man named David, who I like, I like the questions like this. Um, asked about through all the years of performing in the arena, not sure people understand what a typical day is like, where you, you know, I, I used to get a lot, man, you have a great job. You work two and a half hours a day and get to out, be out in front of people. It must be great. Now, yeah, it, it was great and it's still great, but he asked about performance days, whether at a rodeo or a PBR, the routine that you go through. Now, my rodeo days were a little different. A place like Calgary and Cheyenne, it kind of goes all day because those are afternoon, long afternoon performances. So you get there in the morning and you're done by leaving at six at night. But let's take, for instance, a PBR day in the last few years of my career. Let's go, let's go a typical Saturday, seven o'clock performance. We would, yeah, we usually had a performance the night before or we traveled in the night before. So you can take it easy in the morning. We usually would go to the hotel, in the hotel and get breakfast or an early lunch and then have time in the afternoon to chill out. Now, I know there is, a, you know, the first day of a show with PBR, everybody on the live arena team gets together at noon for a creative meeting which is good. It brings everybody together to the arena for a seven o'clock performance to the arena by about three, three fifteen for catering. They, they, uh, in the PBR in a room in the arena, they feed us a, a real meal for the most part, some way better than others. Billings, Montana, best catering of the PBR season. Cause they bring an outside caterer in. Yeah, really good. Um, so we eat a four o'clock production run through when you're done with that then there's some elite seat tour stuff so you're in the arena whether you're really grinding or not you're it's just prep time guys need ankles tape you stretch you uh, a lot of times you know we have a nice time sitting in the in the locker room some music playing talking over things but you're at the arena uh then you start getting ready you know with me it was getting microphones taped on sound checks my makeup on and for a 6.45 performance, 7 o'clock performance, you go, you're done at 9.30-ish, back to the hotel. When it's all said and done, usually at the arena itself between 7 and 8 hours. And that is just at the actual arena. So I think there is more to it maybe than people say. There are um, interviews, public relations appearances, if you have those. And really just being away from home, being out on the road, if you don't travel much and you travel once in a while and you're tired from travel and you can't pinpoint why it, it's, it's a real thing. Yes. We settle into traveling. We get used to traveling. We enjoy it part of our job, but it's still, you're not home. And to me, that's work. And I had a friend, Barry Bales. He was a bass player for union station. The band that was, has always been with Alison Krauss. And he always said he plays the bass for free. He gets paid to travel. 
I always thought that was a uh, interesting way to put it. But the days, whether it starts at three in the afternoon or at eight in the morning, if you're at the arena for eight hours, that that's a full work day. So yeah, um, and that two and a half hours, I know when I was done with those two and a half hours in the arena, I was spent probably more, well, up until the last couple of years, more mentally than physically. Uh, the last couple of years, the physical part of it got to be real difficult, which affected the mental, emotional exhaustion part of it. So yeah, days are a, a little different. There's always kind of uh, obligations and, and things to do. So good question by David. So whether that answers it completely or not. I kind of wanted to save this one towards the end because it does fit message that I like to get across. Adele, and, and I know Adele, Hello, it's me. Not that Adele. Adele Worley, who uh, I've known since we were kids, Augusta, Montana. Uh, Ask for pieces of advice, because I've had teaching career, coaching, pieces of advice from all the aspects of my career. I do some speaking stuff for young people, like tips as to what keeps you going in a career and things that help me. And was there someone's advice that helped me along the way? When I look back on this career, the, the one I just finished in the arena, there were people that gave me advice about how to do business. You know, Lloyd Ketchum, great bullfighter, was, was great as far as pointing me the right direction, getting me and getting my name into some big rodeos that he knew I could do well at. Joe Bumgartner did the same thing. Lloyd helped me with a lot of the business stuff, as did rodeo clown great Butch Lemcooler. Helped me with a lot of that real brilliant kind of a guy on how to do business. Uh, Presentation, Butch Lemcooler was one of the great physical comedian rodeo clowns, I think, of all time. He was the PRCA Clown of the Year several times, Coors Man the Can, NFR, Barrel Man. He just had a real physical way about him, taught me kind of how to do that when I was very young and didn't need to do that. My dad's advice about, I remember when I got a teaching job and my dad told me, hey, let me give you a little tip. Become really good friends with the janitors. Like, well, what do you mean? He said, Anything you need, the janitors can help you. Anything you need to know, the janitors usually need, usually know. Uh, they are as important as anybody in that school and be friends with the janitors. I've taken that through my career as I always make sure that our crew and PBR who work their asses off, I always make sure they know I appreciate them. I have always, I've always, I hope I've done that. I hope they know that. They drive the trucks, they build the arena, and I usually tried to get over there you know, late morning on the first day of a show, walk over to the arena and say hi to all of them and call them names and joke with them. And I hope they always know that. And that has a similar thing to do with that piece of advice. Um, everybody has a role. Everyone is as important as the other. It's just that some of us, the crowd cheers for, and they don't cheer for those guys who are probably working harder. So those pieces of advice help me. My piece of advice probably to young people, guys starting in any aspect of the Western sports world is about getting better. I see 
A lot of the conversations now and phone calls have to do with money and have to do with strictly, hey, I'm this rodeo called me, what'd you make there? Which is, those are logical conversations to have. It just seems like, sometimes it feels like those are the only conversations, but not how to get better. Um, I'm not the get off my lawn guy. I just, I think some people want to have the life without the grind and without the sweat and without sacrifice physically, mentally, um, not to say we need to sacrifice our family or time with our family, but that real grind. I see some young guys now really working hard, um, just working their ass off. And that's key number one, work your ass off. I remember coaching football and we used to tell kids, you, you're going to go the wrong place and do some things wrong on a lot of plays in a football game. But if you're doing it wrong, we're not going to chew your ass near as bad if you're going as hard as you can when you do it wrong. And that's how I feel. If somebody is not real great or not real funny or doesn't seem real ultra talented, but they are working their ass off, I really admire that. Now, on the other side of the coin, if somebody has a whole bunch of talent and just afraid to work up a sweat, that annoys me. So... Uh, I think even if you're, you, you know, what's that saying? Uh, work your ass off at the things that don't take any talent to accomplish, something like that. You got to take care of those things. Work on the things you can control. And uh, the lazy laziness, I'm, yeah, I, I uh, don't be afraid to sweat. But more than anything, I've been through changes in my career. I remember I went from the, from rodeo to PBR and I had some contracts that I still had years left on, but I handled it the right way where I didn't burn any bridges and I didn't, uh, I did, I handled it the right way where I left on good terms everywhere I left. And I, I've always said, and I know it's, it's across the board. People say it in different ways. You can have all these, the success in the world on the court, on the field, in the office, in the arena. But no matter how much success or failure you have in those areas, the one thing that people will remember is how you treated them. So that is the most important thing to me. We all have our off days and maybe say things or act a certain way that we didn't want to. But in the end, how you treat people is how they will remember you. So if you work really hard and you're successful and treat them good, that's like the, the ultimate thing. Win with grace, lose with grace, treat people um, with kindness and respect more than anything. And the other side of that is you might need something, you know, a favor someday. Like my dad always said, I say it a lot. Be careful of whose toes you step on for they may be connected to the ass you have to kiss someday. That's the janitor right there, man. <laughs> so, um, again, I want to reiterate a couple things. PBR World Finals, yes, the first weekend will be at the Fort Worth Stockyards. Uh, catch us, as always, uh, PBR. I, I do uh, have a role now with PBR, and the, the words fan engagement are in that title. Hoping to bring some things more. It's 
I don't know. I feel like it's an advisory type position where I can give, give my voice as being involved in the PBR for the last 25 years in some aspect and paying attention to everything from production uh, to how people come into an arena, to what works, uh, to entertain people and engage people. And I hope, hope I can uh, pass some of that along. So if you ever think of something that maybe would be of help to me, feel free to reach out. I do read my messages. I don't respond to all of them. Some of them I don't think are, are worthy of response, but I do read most of my messages. So uh, thank you for joining us. We appreciate you joining us every Tuesday for my According to Flint Facebook Live. And as always, appreciate you joining us for this usually guest-centered According to Flint podcast. We'll see you in a couple Thursdays. Thanks for downloading this episode. See you soon.